On the heels of a recent BSE case in the United States, let's discuss animal traceability. They say that it's not a matter of if we're going to experience an animal disease outbreak, but when. And while it's been a subject that has been debated within our industry, the recent BSE case provided a glimpse of what traceability could look like and its defense of our cattle industry. That's important that we're able to quickly make those tracebacks happen. Um, and the quicker we can do that, the less impact that an endemic outbreak would have on the industry. Leah Biondo, Executive Vice President of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, is my guest today as we talk about what's ahead with animal traceability, what's it look like to the cow-calf or yearling operations, and we'll get into another subject that, while different, often falls into the conversation, country of origin labeling. We're swinging a big loop today as we talk about animal traceability, overreach, or good defense. You decide on this episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. everyone and we welcome you to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills, your host, and we're glad to have you joining us. This is episode 120 and it's a big show here today as we talk about animal traceability. It's a subject that, as I said in the opening, has created some consternation within our industry for various reasons, but it's moving forward. Uh, last week, last month, I should say, the comment period ended and we're now in the process of the USDA writing those final rules. What's that going to look like? How is it going to affect us in the cattle industry? A lot of us, of course, are cow-calf operators or stalker operators. What does that look like to us? Leah Biondo, who is the Executive Vice President of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, will be joining us as we discuss all of this, the future of what that would look like. And we're going to also talk really kind of some surrounding issues that are not just about animal traceability, but are factors that are affecting our ability as a cattle industry to work together and come and come united on some of these issues. So we're going to talk animal traceability. We'll even get into just a little bit of talk about country of origin labeling. So be sure to tune in here today. Leah Biondo, again, my guest here today on our program. Now, normally meteorologist Don Day joins us towards the latter part of our program to give us an update on weather. However, he is on vacation, so he will not be joining us this week on our show, but stick around. We have a great program in store for you here today. A quick thank you to our sponsors of the Working Ranch Radio Show. All Flex, cattle identification and record keeping should be easy. So now you can tie your visual tag and your AID tag and genetic data to one management number with the All Flex match sets. Find out more at allflexusa.com. Inherit Select from Zoetis, providing commercial cow-calf producers with genetic insights to make replacement female selection and breeding decisions. Find out more at InheritProgress.com. And MLS Tubs, don't gamble with breeding season this year. MLS Tubs are a sure bet. To find out more, go to their website at MLSTubs.com. And finally, Tank Toad, your remote water monitoring system powered by solar, satellite, and cell. Keep an eye on your water supply with a daily text message. Call Metal Arc Solutions today for well controllers, generators, and more at 801 
252-6135. They are a USA company. It's what we use here on the X-Ring Ranch. Well, now let's check in with the captain, Tim O'Byrne, publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine for this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents. Hey, Justin. Hey, everybody out there in Working Ranch Radio Land. For Tim's Two Cents today, I have Chelsea Good, Vice President of Government and Industry Affairs with the Livestock Marketing Association. And Chelsea, we all very much respect uh, your work and your legal mind. And I, I, I wanted to put this question to you. Um, first, the first part is, do you believe that we need more lawyers like you in the industry? I certainly do, especially given some of the land use, environmental and water issues that we're seeing coming up just in the last five years. These are there's very litigious. And what advice would you give to young uh, beef production folks out there that are looking for a career that is very meaningful, challenging and also is going to help us out a lot? I absolutely think that there is huge demand in our industry for uh, lawyers that focus on animal ag law uh, from a animal ag perspective. Um, I think that there, there's huge demand there, and it should be part of our strategic plan as an industry, candidly, to, to grow those individuals. Um, I'll tell you that the other side is doing that. They There are animal welfare, animal rights law programs at different universities across the United States. There aren't very many programs that focus on livestock industry specific, animal ag, you know, land use law. And I think that that's what we need on our side. We need advocates that are equipped with that legal education in order to go to fight for our rights to do what we do best, to, to raise the safest, healthiest, most productive you know, beef product in the world. Do we even have a pathway for, say, some, you know, really uh – aware high school kids to say to themselves, you know, I think I'm going to bend my path towards kind of this direction. Um, Do we have anything like that out there or are they pretty much on their own? It's a little choose your own adventure, but I think that if you do it right, there's tools out there to support you. You know, I'll tell you my undergrad degree, uh, my main undergrad degree was in agriculture, communications and journalism. I think that taught me to write well, which is an important uh, role as an advocate. But I really set up my extracurricular activities and my internship opportunities to build towards going law to law school and, and having an animal ag law focus. I think we're getting a little bit better. Um, I went to law school at Washburn University in Topeka, Kansas. Ten years ago, um, when I graduated, we didn't have an animal ag law um, or an ag law club. They've got an ag law club today. Um, there are there's a livestock law short course that used to be taught at the University of Oklahoma over the summer. That's moved to UNL, I believe, more recently. So there's opportunities out there, and there's there's scholarships that will help people, but they're not necessarily uniquely tailored to you know, just law school, but. For example, I applied for and received the National Cattlemen's Foundation WD FAR scholarship. That's a hugely helpful scholarship opportunity. It was more written to uh, support grad school work of people going in a little more scientific fields, but I'm glad that the selection committee my year chose to stretch that to, to make the, the policy and the advocacy work fit it, and they've done that since then. So there, there's opportunities, but in some way you got to make your own opportunities uh, if, if that's the path you're looking at. 
Well, then, folks out there in beef production land, this is your call to action from us to uh, maybe create a better and easier marked pathway for these young folks. Thanks for coming on the show today, Chelsea. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, Captain, and appreciate the update there. And thanks to Chelsea for joining us here on this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents. Well, stay with us. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to get into our featured interview today as Leah Biondo with the U.S. Cattlemen's Association will be stopping in. We're going to be talking animal traceability. Stay with us. We'll be back on the Working Ranch Radio Show after this. Now let's hear what Two Rivers Land and Cattle of Miami County, Kansas has to say about MLS tubs. MLS number one tubs have given my operation a big boost. We had over 50% of our cows serviced in the first 21 days and 93% of our heifers bred in 60 days this past year. The tubs release rate is consistent and convenient for our cattle row crop operation. We made a good decision switching to MLS. Don't gamble with breeding season. MLS Tubs are a sure bet. Learn more about MLS Tubs at MLSTubs.com. And welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills as we head now into our featured interview here today. And as I said in the in the opening, in light of the BSE case that was announced uh, in detected in South Carolina, I thought it would be a catalyst to maybe have a deeper conversation today on a topic that does have some sensitivity within our own industry, folks. And here to uh, talk about it today to join me is Leah Biondo, who she is the Executive Vice President of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. And Leah, thanks for joining us here today on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Always a pleasure to be here. Leah, I know you're in the middle of the industry and a lot of different things as you're in Washington, D.C. and working on behalf of U.S. Cattlemen's Association and representing ranchers back there. Before we get into some of the details of this sensitive topic, you know, first and foremost, why this this latest case of BSE and I realize it was not a norm it wasn't like the cow that stole Christmas in 2003 I know it wasn't that type of BSE but why didn't we really see the effects on the markets as drastically as had it been 10 years ago Right. And, you know, we had uh, our director of operations, Kelly Fogarty, was selling her calves on Monday. And yeah. thankfully, the market wasn't disrupted as bad as she had thought it might have been. But, you know, I think we didn't see an effect on markets because, like you said, Justin, this is an atypical case of bovine spongiform encephalopathy uh, or BSE, uh, also known as mad cow disease. And so this atypical version is something that occurs rarely. It occurs spontaneously, and it's usually in older animals that we don't usually have going into the beef chain and into the beef chain, excuse me. And so this animal in particular, she was a five-year-old beef cow in in, uh, getting ready to be slaughtered in South Carolina. She was traced back to a herd in Tennessee. Never at any time was she um, a threat to the food supply system. She never entered the food chain. And this was all in thanks to um, our food safety and inspection service uh, inspectors who noticed that this cow um, possessed some of the clinical signs of uh, atypical BSE, decided to test, and that test came back 
positive. So um, again, this uh, this detection is really a, a testament to the work of our inspectors who um, were just following normal procedure and protocols and were able to catch this. Mm-hmm. So in that mindset, let's, and we're, we're going to probably bounce around to some different conversations here today. As, as a rancher myself, I feel I've got some questions that other guys would have as well. So my question is this, is the system working that we have in place now? I would say so. You know, this is um, only our our seventh case of atypical BSC in all of time. Um, Like I said, this is a rare sporadic disease. And so uh, imagine, you know, having to inspect each and every animal that comes through and and only finding those seven cases of atypical BSC. So they're doing a great job of, um, again, following those normal routine procedures and protocols. And when they do notice that something's amiss, they make sure to, you know, stop the chain and, and uh, uh, make sure to test that animal. And if it does come out positive and um, their suspicions are confirmed, that animal's condemned and it no longer poses any um, threat to the food safety system. Mm-hmm. So let's start to get now into the this bigger subject that I have you on here to talk a, a bit about, and that is the traceability conversation that is within our industry. We've got different sides have different perspectives on that, and it dates back to traceability regulations that were adopted clear back in 2013. And of course, here we are 10 years later, and some of this is still yet to be determined on that. What are we pushing for here? Sure. And it's a good segue there, Justin, because again, that uh, cow that was found in in South Carolina, she possessed a radio frequency identification tag that was traced back to a herd in Tennessee. So being able to quickly um, do those trace facts is really helpful when we have um, national outbreaks of really serious diseases. Like I said, atypical BSE, not a serious disease, but something like foot and mouth disease that could have Um, an extreme impact on the industry and and cause losses in the billions of dollars, that's important that we're able to quickly make those tracebacks happen. Um, And the quicker we can do that, the less impact that an endemic outbreak would have on the industry. So, you know, USDA, we recognize that our members uh, carry out animal traceability on their own operations every day, whether that's tracing or tracking animals, uh, via the filing and transfer of health papers or bills of sales or brand inspections, herd tags, you name it. Mm-hmm. Um, these are traceability options that are already in place. But of course, what uh, the U.S. Department of Agriculture is hoping to implement is a much more um, workable and uh, standardized way of, of tracing these animals. Mm-hmm. So if you can, Leah, and I know as this has been around since 2013, there's definitely been a lot of modifications that were not in place with any traceability, you know, specific where we're at just yet. So let's talk about what is being proposed right now. I know, again, for some folks, this could be a little bit redundant, but I think I just, for the sake of our conversation today, so we're all starting from the same basis, let's talk about what is being proposed uh, in terms of traceability right now, today. Right. So like I said, the U.S. Department of Agriculture has a proposed rule out right now regarding um, animal disease traceability. And that um, comment period, it it closed earlier this year. And so there were a lot of organizations that were chiming in and, um, you know, submitting their own comments on it. But the main change that was recognized within this proposed rule is that official USDA tags are now defined as those that are both visually and electronically readable. So I'll say that again. 
The biggest change is that official USDA tags are now supposed to be both visually and electronically readable. So there are no changes in the classification of animals that should be tagged. Everyone who has been tagging official with official USDA tags will have to continue to do so. They'll just have to upgrade those tags to ones that are both visually and electronically readable. And so the certain classes of cattle that are required to, to have official USDA identification right now include sexually intact cattle and th those that are 18 months of age or older. So they are um, that's one category. The next, all female dairy cattle of any age and male dairy animals born after March 11, 2013. So like you said, Justin, that 2013 date, um, any cattle or bison that are used for rodeo or recreational events or that are used for shows or exhibitions. So those are really the main classes of cattle that are crossing state lines. So if your animals remain within this border of your state, then they do not require official USDA identification. So the proposed rule doesn't really expand what sorts of animals are going to be required to have, have official identification, but it does make it so that those classes that are now required to have official USDA identification will have to have both tags that are uh, both visually and electronically readable. Okay. And, and Leah, I don't want to belabor the subject, but I just want to just clarify We're talking visual and electronic. And then for, in the case of a lot of us as ranchers, we're talking then in addition to that would be those animals that are breeding animals, sexually intact animals, correct? Correct. Yep. And then over 18 months of age for anything. Uh, so it would be sexually intact and 18 months of age or older. Oh, so okay. breeding animals that are 18 months of age or older. Okay. All right. So really from a ranching perspective for a lot of us that are in the cow calf industry or even stalkers for that matter, really th this traceability rules of having those EID tags and visual tags wouldn't be applicable. Right, right. And your mama cows wouldn't have to have them either as long as they're not being um, shipped in between state or over state lines. Okay, well, and I think probably for a lot of us, we're, we're familiar with that's what it was. But I just, again, to kind of have some clarification on that. I think, Leah, let's take a quick break here. We're, we're kind of uh, coming up on a time break here. Let's take a quick break. We still have a lot to talk about. Uh, Leah Biondo is my guest here today. She is executive vice president for the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. And we're talking about animal traceability here today it's a it's a, a topic that uh, creates a lot of different opinions and different mindsets of what it's going to entail where it's going to go i think is probably a concern for a lot of folks and uh, we're going to continue with that when we come back here on the working ranch radio show You know, big cows come with big feed bills, which is why smart genetic selection can pay off in your cow herd. Did you know Simmental-influenced cows are an average 74 pounds lighter at maturity than Angus-sired counterparts, according to a recent U.S. Meat Animal Research Center study? Now, while Simmental is sized for more efficient gains, 20-year genetic trend lines also show the breed offers reliable calving ease, early growth, and cow longevity. That's a balanced herd built for profit. Sim Genetics, giving you more per head, period. Stand strong, Simmental. 
and welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. My guest is Leah Biondo. She is the Executive Vice President of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. We appreciate her taking some time out of her very busy schedule. It's funny, before we went on air, I said, so how's things going in Washington, D.C.? And and her response was, boy, it's just been crazy and hectic. And I said, isn't that just a normal response <laughs> in some cases? But, but Leah, as we were talking about kind of setting the foundation or the plate, the table, so to speak, of where we're at with animal traceability and the and the and the rules that's being proposed by the USDA right now. As we know, that comment period ended last month in April, uh, and, and now we're into this next phase with this. I think there's guys, and I know different states, you know, when we start talking more of the Western states, brand laws are, are in effect there. Some of the other states don't have brand laws, but I think there's a question, and we know we just identified in the last segment that for really a cow-calf producer that's selling calves, probably not going to see maybe too many issues there. Their concern might be, but where are we headed with this? And so when we look at what we've already had in effect, such as brand laws and other things like that, is there a reason that cannot continue? That's a really good question, Justin. And, you know, I won't pretend to be an expert on anyone's individual state brand laws. But what I will say is that, um, you know, as we look ahead to the future, we um, and this is the position of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association as well. We um, do need to be looking towards an animal disease traceability system that doesn't burden producers, that is effective for disease traceback, and then also maintains the confidentiality of individuals. So that's what a good nationwide animal disease traceability system would consist of. And, you know, why why wouldn't brands, individual brands work in that scenario? When you've got or, you know, they, they say that it's not a matter of if we're going to experience an animal disease outbreak, but when uh, with the increasing globalization of trade, you know, we we try our best. We've got as many good systems and protocols in place. We've got great people managing those. But there's always a possibility that these animal diseases will enter our border. And so what would be a way that we could quickly um uh, conduct disease tracebacks that we can quickly, um, you know, section off uh, diseased animals. It would be these tags that are both electronically and uh, visually readable. And, you know, um, we're remaining technology neutral at this time mm-hmm. and USDA is remaining technology neutral at this yeah. time. And what that means is we're not going to, you know, tell you what type of uh, radio yeah. frequency ID to use, whether it's high or low frequency, but there's no denying that when you um, run, you know, animals through a chute and you've got a reader over top, you'll be able to read them much faster than checking individual brand, uh, brands and, and tag numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, your response there, Leah, brought two questions to mind. We're going to get to them at different points here. One that I'd already kind of noted here, and it's about uh, putting a burden on producers. I want to get back to that in a little bit. But you talked about it's not if we get an animal disease, it's a matter of when. And I think that brings up a concern for, for ranchers on the in the countryside is like, you know, traceability isn't going to prevent diseases from happening in our country. And I think the real concern is how how what can we do to control some of the imports because we know that there's there's countries that are bringing beef into into the US that do have diseases and so what can be done to control those imports Oh, Justin, you must have been reading our calendar this past month. This has been a top priority for the USDA Trade Committee. We met actually with the Customs and Border Protection yesterday 
to discuss some of these um, regulations surrounding imports of beef. And, you know, some of the things that we heard are concerning. Um, there are some weak points in the link, I will say, that need to be strengthened so that we can make sure that no disease arrives uh, in the U.S. or that we can rapidly or, you know, in a way decrease the chances of a disease coming within our border. And so the idea of either slowing down imports, increasing inspections of imports, these are all things that are really important to our trade committee and some of the things that we've been working on um, extensively over the years, but more so recently this year. Again, as as I said, it's not a matter of if, but when we'll be having that endemic disease. Mm So, Leah, that brings us to the second question I was going to ask before, and it was a note that I wrote down, and, and I will be honest with you. I I was in ag media uh, back when, the, the 2003, when we had the case of VSE, and it really devastated not only our U.S. cattle market, but of course, definitely the Canadian cattle market as well. And so, I remember that extremely vividly. And one of the things is I come away from that in the years of being in the industry from the media side, also now as a, as a rancher myself as well. And, and I just find an interesting dilemma in the, in the situation. We talk about wanting to implement a system that is not burdensome to the ranchers or to the industry. But what I find interesting is we've got two issues here. Now, I might be opening up a can of worms here a little bit on you. We've got cool country of origin labeling that's been talked about for many years. And then we've now we've got animal traceability. And I'm going to tell you how I perceive this a bit. And folks, if you want to, I may get some feedback from this. I see country of origin labelers, ranchers want the meat industry to ID their product. With traceability, the meat or the government want ranchers to ID their product. Both claim it's going to be costly to the industry. How do we meet in the middle? (laughs) Another good question there, Justin. And so... Um, again, no secret, U.S. Cattlemen's Association supports mandatory country of origin labeling. Our founders were among the members who initially instituted the program back in way back when. And, and so that's something that we continue to seek from um, the U.S. Department of Agriculture and, and um, those involved in our trade negotiations. But we've got to be careful here because there we cannot conflate country of origin labeling with animal disease traceability animal disease traceability the number one reason to institute it is animal disease traceability the country of origin or the origin labeling rules that might come as you know a beneficial side effect of animal disease traceability and that's fine uh, but we're we, we have to look mainly at the goal of instituting a nationwide traceability program and again that's slowing down the spread of disease in the instance of an outbreak mm-hmm. Leah am I wrong in feeling that each at each side of the industry is a little hypocritical in, in what I was just, my question in that, and that one side wants the other one to identify their products and the other side wants them to, to identify their products. Am I, am I, am I seeing that wrong? Or it's just, I guess that's just where I've, and I've honestly, I can tell you that I have felt this for probably 15 years that it's just an interesting that it almost seems hypocritical that each side wants the other to identify their product. You're asking me to step in it, Justin, but, you know, I think what that means is that there is some common ground that we can both stand on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it leads me to the next question in this, and that's where I've always felt in this is because from my personal opinion, 
Yeah, I, I'm okay with country of origin labeling. I have no issues with the concept. It makes a lot of sense. It really does. I mean, we we label so many of our products that consumers buy here in the United States. Why can't beef be anything any different than that? But I've also felt why not let the market dictate when and how the industry moves forward in these kind of subjects. I'm glad you said that because, you know, as we're looking at some of these um, product of USA proposed rules that are coming out of USDA, uh, they've instituted or they've they've also um, released a consumer survey on product of USA. And what that consumer survey looked at was how do consumers perceive product of USA labeling claims and only 16% of consumers identified the correct definition for those product USA labeling claims, but they said they would still be willing to pay up to $1.70 more for a pound of ground beef and $3.21 more for a New York strip steak that included that product of the USA labeling claim. So um, this is research that's done by the U.S. Department of Agriculture that shows that there are consumers that are willing to pay and pay more for that product of USA or origin labeling claims. So I do think that is out there, what you said, you know, the market demanding it, but there's some other factors that are preventing us from accomplishing that goal. And I would say that's namely the lobbying power of the meat packer. Yeah. Well, I just, you know, we, we see <laughs> there's not a lot of good in some ways that came out of the COVID-19 uh, issues that we've dealt with other than we did see folks really kind of come back to wanting to know where their products come from. And, and I see that push happening. I mean, you know, I've, I've had conversations with Clint Berry that represents superior livestock on selling program cattle. And we start to see more of that kind of stuff becoming a part of our marketplace. And I, and I feel like, uh, you know, much similar to other issues, whether we want to talk about uh, solar and wind power and like, you know, why are we pushing some of these mandates? Why not let the market dictate that? And I really feel like it's going to be a lot easier path if we can let that market dictate the direction we go in this without too much government interference. I certainly see where you're coming from there, Justin. Again, uh, our founding members were, were original proponents of that government mandate for origin labeling claim. But as we look to the future, and you know, I don't have to tell anybody that's listening to this, and in, in 2015, we lost country origin labeling because the public didn't want it anymore. And because we were facing those retaliatory tariffs from the WTO um, that was awarded to Canada and Mexico. So maybe there's another way forward. Again, closing the loophole for product of USA labeling is one of those way forwards. The other might be a, you know, a like you said, a process verified program for origin, U.S. origin cattle. So maybe we look to do something like that through the beef checkoff program. There's a lot of ways I think that we can be creative. Mm -hmm. And so these are some of the ways that um, U.S. Cattlemen's Association is, is looking at. You know, we can't just keep harping, bring back mandatory country of origin labeling and then not changing the way that we're approaching the subject. So we've got to get creative here. We've got to find those angles. You know, um, if you can get a foot in the door, you'll eventually be in the room. So that's the way that yeah. we kind of approach this yeah. issue. Yeah. You know, that's a good point, Lee. And I, I actually appreciate that perspective on it. I think that's, it gives me some hope in, in, in the negotiations that are taking place back there on behalf of this subject. Stay with us, folks. My guest today is Leah Biondo. She is the executive vice president 
president of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. We're talking about animal traceability. And of course, it as we just went through some other subjects that kind of also sometimes come into that conversation. When we come back, we're going to continue with more conversation on that. And what's the future entail in this? I think that's a concern that some ranchers have is, okay, we've opened the door here. What's that going to lead to? We're going to talk more about it when we come back here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Every year you pick your replacement heifers. Some become profitable cows, others disappoint. How can you make more reliable selections? Genetic testing. Commercial cow-calf producers like you are using Inherit Select from Zoetis. You gain valuable predictions, including cow fertility, size and soundness, feed efficiency, growth and carcass merit, as well as easy to use economic indexes. This improves your selection, breeding, and marketing decisions. Request a call from InheritProgress.com and ask about free TSUs to get you started. And welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. My guest today is Leah Biondo. She's the Executive Vice President of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. I, uh, as I said in the, going into the last segment, uh, you know, she's busy back in D.C. Uh, there's a lot of topics, as we were just talking about in the previous segment. Some of the questions I had are meetings that they have been having on, you know, how do we control imports? What are, what are some of the things that we can do when we talk about animal disease and traceability and controlling that? And I want to get further into that, Lee, a little bit, because I know one of the issues that ranchers would have is say, okay, I, I see what you're saying regarding animal traceability. It's, it's that ability to, to quickly move uh, in terms of getting something isolated. In theory, that is absolutely 100% good. But where's where's the future of this what what door are we opening i think that is a real concern that ranchers have what what door is that going to open is it going to are they going to go a step further because as you and i said before we went on air right now there's a lot of mistrust in our society with uh within the industry within our government and so there's concern what's the future look like no, that, I'm glad you brought that up, Justin. And there is mistrust right now is at an all time high. And so understandably, folks are cautious about moving forward with some sort of animal disease traceability plan. And I, I would be lying to say that even members of uh, the U.S. Cattlemen's Association aren't hesitant on it as well. But um, I, I did want to state, you know, Justin, it's not me up here in my overpriced townhouse on Capitol <laughs> Hill kind of steering the boat on the organization. It's our producer leaders. It's our producer membership. And so the animal disease traceability position that we stand on was um, built by producers at our annual meeting during our policy discussions. And one of the, the primary or core tenets of that is that there should be absolutely no private control of the data or access to the data without the Approval of the owner. And so that means that um, there's some efforts to establish private entities or organizations that would house some of that data. And that's something that U.S. Cattlemen's Association is wholeheartedly against. Um, again, that that uh, data should not be housed within a single private organization. We believe that it should be held with the state animal health officials mm-hmm. um, so that they can access it easy and so that nobody else can access it easy. And so I understand, you know, privacy is a concern where we're going is a concern. You know, there's always a slippery slope argument. But that's something that at least U.S. Cattlemen's Association is going to continue to stand for it. 
Mm-hmm. As you and I were talking before this segment, just a little quickly there, um, I expressed to you a little bit of my frustration that we have, and and, I, and folks don't take this wrong, I'm not being critical of our listeners here, but sometimes we, we're very consumed in what we're doing. I mean, right now is a busy time of the year for a lot of us in the cattle industry. For those of us that spring calve, I mean, we're right in the thick of calving here in northeastern Wyoming, and we kind of keep our noses down, our heads down, and buried in what we're doing. And sometimes we just don't raise our head or, or really think through some of this stuff. And we start to build an idea of where this is going based more on conspiracy theory, so to speak, rather than facts. As producers, what do we need to do to stay on top of this so that we are making educated opinions? You already know my answer to this. It's joining um, organizations that support your values and beliefs. So maybe that is U.S. Cattlemen's Association. Maybe it's another lobbying or or, um, industry association. But the easiest way to stay informed, to stay active, and to be made aware of when changes are coming or when those changes are happening is to get involved in an organization. Um, I cannot stress that enough. We need folks of all um, backgrounds, of all expertise levels. You don't even have to have an expertise level, just a willingness to participate and learn and get involved in the conversation. Our policies are made, again, from our uh, USCA Animal Health and ID Committee. They get together at least once a year, but many more times throughout the year to discuss the current issues, to discuss how the association is going to respond to them, and to establish policy, um, strong policy that we can stand on all year round. So uh, the easiest and best way to, you know, stay ahead of what's happening in the industry is to get involved in your organization um, and just stay in, in uh, you know, stay in the know when, when you're reading your industry publications, when you're listening to podcasts like the Working Ranch Radio. Um, these sorts of things will help you stay uh, up to date on what's happening in the industry. Mm-hmm. Leah, and, and we're kind of jumping a little bit here off the issue of animal traceability because uh, as I hit, you and I were talking a little bit, I think one of the issues that we're dealing in with traceability is and these subjects that are so controversial and it gets back to a little bit ago we were talking about the mistrust within our own industry as as a whole and and i'm going to step outside the conversation of the context of animal traceability and and maybe talk a little bit more of a, a an issue within our industry and and sometimes we look to the groups or 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 even the feedback on subjects like this that don't challenge us or lead us to to believe what we already want to believe instead of maybe looking in some ways you know let's let's walk a mile in the shoes of the other guy and see what our perspective would be there and i'm not advocating you know that the meat packing industry is is pure in all that they do they're not i understand that but i think it's important as as an industry as ranchers that we fully understand all elements of the industry as we're coming up with opinions That's a good viewpoint there, Justin. And, um, you know, in my own personal time and personal life, I like to follow and uh, consume media that challenges my personal beliefs. And so that's something that I do think producers should do, too, is um, look outside the the agriculture echo chamber. Go see what the consumers are talking about. Go see what, you know, 
corporate America is talking about in this instance. Go see what the restaurant and retail folks are talking about. And, you know, you've always got to kind of get outside, again, that echo chamber of of just industry discussion, industry discussion, and, and challenge your beliefs a little bit, because some of these issues are going to be solved not by doing it the way that it's always been done, but by seeking out some of those creative solutions. Mm-hmm. No, I appreciate that. And that's, that's right. Burying your head in the sand and all is very similar to also uh, drinking from the same fountain the whole time too. <laughs> it would be maybe an equal deal there. Uh, Leah, as we wrap this up a little bit, let's, let's bring it back to traceability a bit here. And, and you might've touched on it a little bit ago, but we do know the comment period ended. What's the next steps in it going forward and what, where's the involvement us as ranchers need to be in this? Well, that's, uh, you know, a a bit more complicated of a question than you might think. Uh, The wheels of bureaucracy turn very slowly. And so the comment period has ended. USDA is now reviewing all of the comments that it received um, and formulating its uh, final rule. So, again, that was a proposed rule. Now it's going to look at all the comments from the public and formulate the final rule. That timeline can be anywhere from, you know, three months to two years. And so we're going to continue to monitor, you know, what USDA leadership is saying, you know, if they've got uh, a timeline that they can share with us ahead of time, they will. And so we'll follow that. But um, once that final rule is proposed, then that's that's kind of it. There's there isn't no, any more opportunity for public engagement there. We can go to Congress if we don't like what comes out of it. But, you know, just given what we've seen so far about this particular proposed rule, it's going in a more um, positive way than we might otherwise have seen, you know, if we hadn't been at the table discussing our priorities for a national MID program. Mm -hmm. Do you think, uh, again, uh, as you were saying, you know, being at the table, getting a foot in the door, at least you're in the room. Do you think had there not been that input, what would we have been looking at? Right. You know, we might have been looking at a a program that encompasses all classes of cattle that move um, in trust state rather than interstate. We might have been looking at something where private organizations are hosting the data. There really is no telling um, if we hadn't been there as kind of the voice for the producers, what might have occurred in that proposed rule. And so again, that's why it's really important to have organizations like the U.S. Cattlemen's Association as a counter to um, some of what, you know, say the meatpacking lobbyists are talking about in D.C. And so it's important to have those uh, differing and diverse viewpoints and perspectives because it makes the industry stronger overall. Mm -hmm. Leah, was there any, do you think, in your opinion, from a partisan standpoint, does it matter who's sitting in the White House as far as the direction that this was going to go? Uh, personally, I, I don't think it does matter. Um, we have worked equally as well with Democratic administrations as we have with Republican administrations. Again, as Justin, as you alluded to earlier uh, in this segment, you know, this has been in the works since 2013 and discussions were happening many, many years before that. So it's transcended different administrations. I, I don't think this particular rule would have changed much if it was under a Democratic or Republican administration. There, there's no joke in yourself, though. Some of these other proposed rules and things that we're seeing coming out of the White House, absolutely, those those are um, um, some partisan issues. But on this one particularly, I, I don't think this one was swaying too much by um, red or blue politics. Once it goes into effect, as you said, the, it's the, the public comment period has ended. Once it, it goes into effect, do you think there's going to be some legal pushback on it that's going to, again, delay it? 
You know, I was uh, talking to a USDA official the other day, and um, they mentioned that there's now a new process within the um, public participation of any federal regulation or rulemaking, and that's the legal challenges. And so I, you know, don't doubt that there will be some legal challenges to this. And um, that's just something where, again, when you're building out the rule, you've got to have all those diverse viewpoints in the room so that you can get something that, uh, you know, people mostly agree with. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 hard in today's in today's day yeah, and age, no isn't kidding. it? <laughs> Leah Biondo, Executive Vice President of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, is my guest today. We've had great discussion on animal traceability and and just where that's at and and, and other elements regarding that particular subject. Stay with us. She's going to stay with us for a bonus segment with us. I asked her if she could give us an update on other issues that are going on back in Washington D.C. that do affect us as ranchers. We're going to talk about the when we come back here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Do you have a young child, grandchild, niece, or nephew that loves the weather and wants to learn more? Day Weather has produced a children's weather journal full of weather facts, fun weather experiments, coloring pages, and pages to record weather observations for every season of the year. The weather journal is for ages 3 to 7 and designed to be fun and educational. The interactive weather projects are fun for the whole family to take part in. For only $10, the Day Weather Weather Journal is a great gift idea for any occasion. Click on our Amazon link to order at dayweather.com. And welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. As we head into our, our fourth segment here today, joining us is Leah Biondo. She is the Executive Vice President of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. Originally, I, I brought Leah on to talk a bit about, we just touched briefly in light of the BSE case that was detected in South Carolina earlier this month. I thought it might be a good segue to talk a bit about animal traceability, which is what we were talking about in the previous three segments. I thought since I had Leah here with us today, I, I want to know what else is going on because as we all know i'm i tell you what the political climate in our industry just keeps ramping up in very whether it's in good and bad i mean we've got no more presidential candidates coming on to various other agricultural issues and leah from what you guys are working on besides what we were talking about already what are some of the issues that you think are going to be really have a big effect on us in the ranching industry Good question. And U.S. Cattlemen's Association, for those who might have been listening this whole time and been like, who who are you? Uh, we're, we're a nationwide organization of uh, independent producers, livestock haulers, and regional processors. And so the issues that we follow support those kind of three segments there. And some of those issues that we're looking at, you know, of course, have always been our top priorities, things like truth and labeling, both on domestic beef products and alternative proteins like plant patties or petri dish lab grown protein. Um, we're also always working on uh, competition and marketing reform. So the Cattle Price Discovery and Transparency Act is a big priority of ours. Um, and then increasing opportunities for our independent or regional processors. And that's an area that we've seen a lot of really um, good stuff come out of in the past few years. The pandemic opened folks' eyes to kind of the inadequacies of the supply chain. And so um, the Biden administration pledged over a billion dollars um, to boost the independent processing segment. So we are seeing those dollars being doled out in the countryside now, which is exciting. It's going to take a few years, of course, to yeah. see capacity built up and 
to, to build those businesses out. But again, a really exciting time in, in our core priorities there. Mm-hmm. Well, and I know that was, that's been a big issue is, and it, it kind of relates a little bit to our previous topic, but just control by the four major meat packers of 80% of the industry, getting that spread out a little bit is something that really the market has needed for quite some time. Yeah, we would we would certainly agree. And so, you know, like I said, we're working on the Cattle Price Discovery and Transparency Act, which would for the first time ever mandate how packers purchase their animals. It would require a minimum percent of cash negotiated trade to happen. Um, so that's really important that we see or that's a really important priority that we see to get across the finish line. But then we're also working on a bill called the Meat Packing Special Investigator Act. And this would create an office of the special investigator for competition matters within the USDA. And it would really expand the the capacity of USDA to conduct investigations. They would be given subpoena power. And it would really just, again, expand the capacity of USDA to go after these anti-competitive practices that we all know are happening in the marketplace. And um, as we were talking about earlier, it's really difficult for producers to, you know, lift their heads up from their everyday lives and, and get a sense of what's going on in the greater industry. Um, so a lot of those times, those anti-competitive practices are just kind of ignored or maybe they're swept aside. But we um, we don't want that to happen. We want to hear your stories, no matter you know how big or small they might be, because we want to see some change in the industry. And so the Meatpacking Special Investigator Act would put some more dollars towards USDA to take on these investigations. But in the meantime, U.S. Cattlemen's Association is is taking it on as our own um role and responsibility there. Yeah. Leo, what are you finding just in general on some of these topics are are you really having to fight? Unfortunately, Justin, this one is on is on us. It um, wasn't so much that we were getting pushback in um, Congress and especially in the last Congress. It was both Democrat controlled House and Democrat controlled Senate and Democratic White House. And so we could have moved these bills across the finish line. But there was some misinformation out there in the countryside on these bills that really stifled our ability to move them forward. And so when the industry itself can't unite on something, uh, members of Congress get a little wonky on it, too, because Mm -hmm. they don't know what to do. They've got uh, constituents and, and voters in their region who are members of all of the cattle organizations. Yeah, and so yeah. I think there was just a breakdown on our side and we've got to provide a more united front so so we can move forward on some of these bills. Boy, and I, I maybe that's the way we sum up our entire interview. Well, Leah, I appreciate you taking not only the time to do the original interview I called you about, but also the bonus one here. Uh, thanks on behalf of the, of the ranching industry. Thanks for what you're doing back there. It's not a job, honestly, that a lot of us want to do or really could do very well. It, that's why we pay dues to our industry organizations so that they can be back there in the trenches. And I appreciate what you're doing for, for the cattle industry. Well, uh, we're very thankful to be a good partner working Ranch Radio here. And so always a good time to be visiting, Justin. All right. Thanks, Leah. And again, that was Leah Biondo. She is the executive vice president of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association joining us here today on our program. Now, their website, if you'd like to find out more, is uscattlemen.org. And I mentioned their website for two reasons. Number one, of course, if you'd like to find out more information about them. Number two is this. Go to their website. But not just theirs. I encourage you to go to the website of of every industry group that represents us as ranchers on a national level as well as on your local state levels 
find the policy sections of their website. And if they don't have a policy section of their website or on there that you can find, I'd be a little cautious there, but read through those policies of the issues that they are working on on behalf of ranchers and our industry. I think you might be surprised. Number one, there's probably more similarities than you realize. Number two, yeah, there are some big topics that people have drawn the, the, the line in the sand on, but it's important that we read through uh, the other policies so that we understand maybe the perspective or the direction that that's coming from all of this in an effort that we can start to speak with one voice. Final thought here in regards to our subject today on traceability, and that is that to bring, I guess, a sports analogy into this is that sometimes uh, to have a good offense, we need to also have a good defense. And I look at animal traceability as just that. I hate to play the scare tactic because we've seen that too much in our industry of, of people using the fear game as a mechanism to motivate people. But at the same time, you can't be ignorant. It, it, all it takes is one animal, uh, whether it's whether it's somebody from an animal terrorism standpoint or whether it's something that's uh, an accidental situation or whatever that could be that could create an issue within our industry that could absolutely devastate our industry. And when I look at this concept of animal traceability, I see it being us as responsible stewards of our industry and being proactive in that when or if an issue were to arise, we can quickly get it isolated in a fashion so that we don't see huge devastating effects on our industry as a whole. Stay with us. We'll put a wrap on this week's show when we return on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Set up the next generation for a productive lifetime with Zinpro Avela 4. Achieve productive success in your cows with 20% increased conception rate and a 16-day tighter calving interval. Calves from cows supplemented with Zinpro hit the ground running with improved immunity and 28 more pounds at weaning. Allow your cows and calves to perform to their full potential with Zinpro Avela 4. Before we head out here today, I want to back up just a little bit and point out some of the shows that we have recently had here on the Working Ranch Radio Show that I think have a lot of practicality to us here in the ranching business. Last week, we talked about evaluating your breeding costs, AIing versus natural service, the cost-benefit analysis of that, some very practical information in that. A few weeks ago, episode 116, it was animal and program factors affecting calf prices. And uh, the week before that was episode 115, legal perspective on estate planning. Now, that was an issue that was very helpful to, to me just in general. And uh, again, a lot of shows you can go back and listen to on our podcast website at workingranchradio.com uh, that you can find very useful uh, for you in your ranching industry and a lot of the topics and issues we all deal with. A quick thank you to our sponsors today. Before we head out, All Flex, Inherit Select from Zoetis, MLS Tubs, and Tank Toad, your remote water monitoring system. The Working Ranch Radio Show is a production of Working Ranch Magazine, branded number one by America's ranchers. You can get your subscription started today simply by going to their website at workingranchmag.com. Now, if you'd like to get a hold of me about something you had a question on and for today's show or an idea for a topic, please feel free to get a hold of me. My email address is justin.workingranch at gmail.com. Thanks again for joining us. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long.